Hey everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan perspective and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism or divisiveness. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlosky. Hey listeners, how we doing? So this is actually a really special episode for us. I think we mentioned this podcast a couple times before that Nick and I met through a Newt Bueller rally. So we are pleased to announce our guest, Dr. Newt Bueller. Welcome. Thanks, James. I'm glad I could contribute to the the founding of such a good relationship. (laughs) (laughs) We appreciate it. We appreciate it. Oh, you won for that one. So we're here in Ben's at Dr. Bueller's house. I had questions written down. Where'd these go? Oh my gosh, what bad preparedness <laughs> on this. What podcast know, host so are you? Yeah, if you don't have any questions, we can talk about my, my new puppy, Ferris. If, if that, that's right. I would love to spend five minutes <laughs> talking about the dogs, honestly. For those who didn't catch that, Ferris Bueller is the name of the dog. So if you hear any barking, it's uh, Ferris under the table wanting a treat. Well, I guess we'll start off. I've seen some stuff on Facebook that you are fundraising for Sherry Heltz. She seems like a pretty regional person, and I... I judge this not on what I know about her or who she is, but how much hatred she's getting on the Republican <laughs> Facebook groups uh, from the from the far right. So I'm like, okay, I can get behind, I can get behind Sherry. So, do you want to just give us a you know what you're doing and what Sherry's trying to do in the in the legislature? Yeah. Well, let me just start with what I've been doing. After the after the campaign, I've I've let the dust settle for about six months. There was a, a lot to do, actually more than I expected to kind of shut down the campaign. It was a you know twenty million dollar endeavor. At the end of the day, there was a lot of uh, uh, staff. I think we had almost thirty to thirty five staff, ranging from interns to consultants. And to a lot of their credit, uh, you know they didn't have a parachute to another job. So when the election ended, there was a lot of effort in getting people placed in in different uh, locations. So a lot of uh, for me, a lot of writing letters of recommendation and making phone calls and counseling and making sure everyone landed at a place that you know they felt comfortable with, and that that took quite a while. And then, of course, you just have the mechanics of shutting down the campaign and the, the accounts receivable and the accounts payable and those types of things. And, and I promised my wife that I wouldn't commit to anything new for six months, <laughs> <laughs> which I think was a, a good decision. And during that time, I just had a lot of personal things that I'd put off for two years, uh, you know, because of the heavy political involvement. Uh, and then uh, now, as you referenced, James, uh, you know, I'm starting to help candidates, just not Sherry Helt, but I'm going to help uh, a variety of candidates, uh, uh, people who I think are highly qualified, and, and not just candidates, but also causes that I believe in. And so uh, Sherry happens to be the first because, uh, you know, she's representing my former district and it's close by. Uh, and I continue to play that role in the 2020 election cycle. Awesome. I've looked into Sherry's numbers a little bit. Again, Nick and I are both finance guys, so numbers are kind of our thing. But this district, 54, is registrations is primarily Democrat. But this is where you were elected. Now, Sherry, a Republican. And looking back in history, I I think probably like eight of the last nine representatives from this district have been Republican. How do Republicans win a district that is 
by all measures, should be a Democrat district. That's uh, it's really insightful, and uh, I think it's something that Republicans all over the state really need to pay attention to. <laughs> uh, if uh, we could reproduce what's occurred in my former district, House District 54, uh, Republicans would have a majority in the legislature and, and not be in the super minority position that it finds it, uh, itself in right now. Uh, keep in mind that this district uh, uh, represents about two-thirds of Bend, and uh, as you reference also, uh, it is majority Democrat, actually a 14% Democratic registration advantage. Fortunately, a lot of those Democrats are uh, historically more uh, to the center of the Democratic Party. They're not to the far left. And there's also a large independent registration. Now, last time I checked, there was only 25% Republicans in this district. So in order to win that district, you have to be a, a independent-minded uh, legislature lawmaker who uh, really uh, rejects those narrow partisan labels that people all too often want to hang on you. And I think uh, that's the recipe that's worked uh, not only for me, but for Representative Helton and in the past, uh, Jason Conger. Sounds like a uh, a lot of potential new listeners for a Rational Republican podcast there. <laughs> Independent, centrist Democrats, centrist Republicans. That's our people. We love That's it. People. Um, do you think that there's and a... And don't forget the, the non-affiliated, Nick. I mean... Hey, there we go. <laughs> I think next year there'll be, you know, that will be the highest registration is none of the above. You, know, you continue to see the millennials reject both established political parties and for, for good reason, I think. You know, both are tend to be an impediment to getting stuff done instead of uh, instead of a positive force. Well, um, hey, push comes to shove. If we got to start rational NAV, then we'll do it. <laughs> we'll do it. Uh, so, do you think... Oh, go ahead. Oh, no. I was just going to say, funny story. I was trying to recruit some precinct committee people in Multnomah County, and Nick and I are both PCPs up there. And two of our friends who are fairly conservative were like, yeah, I'll be a PCP. You know, I'll be involved. And when I submitted their paperwork, they were both NAVs. Like they had not registered as Republicans, despite being very conservative people. So, um, it's millennials. I, I hear you. Yeah. Um, even, yeah. And James, I think also to a certain extent, there are some people registering as Democrats just so they can participate meaningfully in a mm. primary election, uh, especially in places like Multnomah County and Washington County, uh, maybe Lane County, where sure. if they want to have any influence on the primary election, they need to be you know, a Democrat. So we fair. actually, we spoke with Bill Courier, happened to be at a meeting that we were at yesterday, and he mentioned he's he was talking about his current ongoing Recall Kate Brown petition, and he said that about 20% of those signatories were Democrats. I was just going to say, Bill Currier, the chairman of the Oregon Republican Party. Yes. Keeping me on task, which is, I think, a we could get into the recall Kate petition if, if that's a direction that we so choose. Think what you will about it. But that fully one out of five folks who's signing that is a Democrat, I think, speaks very much to your point about <laughs> there's some Democrats here in Oregon who are not just straight down the line blue people. You know, I was skeptical of the recall Kate Brown thing until Bill heard Bill speak yesterday and... I don't want to get too much into what he said. It was kind of, it was a private meeting, but I was skeptical at first. I think I'm coming around. I think that, I mean, obviously I signed the petition because it's, it's what we're doing, but can I, uh, before we switch on, can I just ask for, for HD 54, uh, lucky is certainly the wrong word with Nathan, uh, given his me too accusations and yeah. the, you know, what he went through. It's not lucky that he was accused of that, but it was a, 
it almost seems like a black swan type of event that made it very hard for the Democrats to win that seat. Do you think that was a a major factor in Representative Helt being able to hold on to your seat? Or do you think that HD 54 consistently with obviously with somebody who's centrist like Representative Helt can stay in Republican hands? Yeah, I, I think it obviously is very fortunate uh uh, for Sherry's uh, win, that there was such a weak candidate, you know, uh, Nathan Bodie, who had some ethical <laughs> lapses, so to speak, <laughs> serious ethical lapses. Uh, yeah, I think if there was a more, more robust candidate, certainly it'd have been a much uh, closer election and would have cost a lot more than than what it did. So uh, hopefully that will repeat itself in 2020. All right, weak Democrats, we encourage you to run for office. <laughs> <laughs> always, always. <laughs> so, Doctor Bueller. When you were a legislator, a representative, we've talked about this on the podcast before, you put forward a bill to make birth control over-the-counter in Oregon. Would you say that that is your signature legislation, or is there something else that you think you're, you're equally proud of? Yeah, James, I think that that legislation will have the biggest impact, certainly, of anything that I passed or had a role in getting passed during my time in the legislature. Uh, it already has in Oregon. You know, there's been recent you know, studies that show significant cost savings and, and uh, a lot of in- unintended pregnancies not occurring because of that legislation. And just to recap, uh, what that did is it allowed uh, women to essentially have access to birth control in Oregon uh, over the counter which is uh, something that uh, now is being talked about at a national level uh, by uh, a um, surprising uh, uh, partnership between AOC and Senator Ted Cruz. Right. So, uh, but uh, our legislation also has been uh, copied in 14 additional states uh, all, across, uh, all across the nation, which is you know, really great to see. We've been helping uh, with that process. When I was running for governor, I met you know, lots of Republican governors through the Republican Governors Association and personally was talked to many of them. They were interested in, in the legislation. So I think that really ginned up the, the interest in, in the legislation. So, and I expect it to continue. Uh, I've had some initial conversations with uh, Senator Cruz's health policy advisor and they're looking at it as a model of the legislation they'll use hmm. at the national level. So that's awesome. Yeah, we've talked about abortion a couple of times on here as well. And, you know, as the pro-life party, we really need to focus on legislation, on ideas that prevent unwanted pregnancies rather than just making it, you know, making abortion illegal seems to be our, our one and only thing that we try. And this is, yeah, that, this has been my hobby horse for a while. If I were, say, a delegate to the platform convention that's coming up in a little bit, <laughs> which for our listeners, James will be. So that's, we, this is actually, well, this will come out after that podcast. I, I but think that's, so, yeah. yeah. Actually, we, it'll, it'll come out an hour oh, after we ended. A, a week ago, we had another podcast when he found out he would be going to the platform conventions, <laughs> just reading through it and finding all of the god-awful things that are in there and how, trying to help James decide what's the one thing to hone in on. But that's, for me, it would be education and talking about sexual health, reproductive rights, condoms, contraception, what have you. Because if we are, wherever you stand on row, I think everybody can agree that we'd like to see the number of abortions reduced, and your legislation has demonstrably done that. And I kind of wish that this party would get behind stuff like that a little bit more. They haven't yet, but we'll see. So what's it like running for governor? I The few times I think I ran into you during the campaign... (laughs) <laughs> it looked exhausting. Like just all the people, all the shaking hands, I'm sure early mornings, late nights. Is that something you'd consider doing again? Is it, I mean, what was the experience like? 
you know, overall, it, it was a great uh, experience. Uh, you know, coming up short and losing, uh, you know, that that certainly is, is not the, you know, the result we are hoping for. And I'm a very competitive person. So, you know, losing also, also always takes a, a bite out of you. But as I look back upon it, you know, the most enduring and most valuable result from it is all the great friends and relationships that I made all across the state and for that matter, uh, all across the, the country. And that is uh, uh, the most enduring positive aspect of it, which I still, you know, that still pays dividends for me as I travel around and I can go to any city in Oregon right now and call up a friend and have breakfast or go out to dinner. And, and, I, and by the way, I also know all the good restaurants in every town <laughs> in, go. in Oregon. That's a, that's a good side benefit. But yeah, it, it, is, uh, it is a lot more demanding than I ever expected. You know, with social media, it's a 24-7. Uh, you're always on. There's always incoming. And you just really have to to pace yourself, but it's an all, all in experience now. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, anyone who is going to, to run for a statewide office, they have to expect that and, and really be ready for it. Yeah, there were definitely some of those events that were more trying than others. I remember there was some Saturday that you were out campaigning and, you're at some football game in Eugene, and you had to wear this god-awful green color, and oh my god! Yeah, you have to do a few things that, you know, that is a little bit over the line. You're just I, not proud of. Yeah, the other day, I, I did spot my duck shirt in my closet, and then, yeah, I had, it's almost like a PTSD moment when I looked at it. Now, it, it, that was really fun, too. I mean, it's fun going, I hadn't really been to that many duck football games, and you know, certainly going to them was enjoyable and meet a whole nother group of, of people. So th- those are the types way, of experiences. Way more fun than the Beaver games. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, winning tends to make things more fun. So. so for listeners who can't see, Nick is wearing his OSU Beaver shirt. Are there listeners who can see right now? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be listening. And when, I we, when we listen to this podcast. <laughs> and Nick, I appreciate you wearing the, the, the Beaver garb uh, today. So well, I, I went to University of Texas, but I married up. What can oh, I say? Oh, is that right? Oh, well. <laughs> we were... Uh, so, Dr. Bueller, you're also a, a beaver. And so, as we were leaving the Airbnb on our way over here, I was like, oh, you're wearing the beaver shirt. And he's like, that was that was intentional. hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Well, I just leaving my wife yesterday that she was like, so, are you going to bring up any Oregon State stuff? And I was like, you bet I am. <laughs> this is a running joke. I Podcasts that have nothing to do with sports or even people from Oregon, That's I will find some time to go in there and just say, go Beavs, and then James yells at me and I think edit, edits it out <laughs> half the time. But Yeah, and I think uh, to, just as a follow-up on both Oregon State and James' question about my impact from being in the legislature, uh, maintaining the funding in the camp, the branch campus for Oregon State in, uh, in Bend was, uh, you know, hmm. a really, I hmm. see as a crowning achievement. It was always teetering on the edge. And uh, during my time, we secured funding that really puts it at a level where it can't re- be reversed. There's just too much capital investment there. Now too many students attending, uh, attending the school now that it will persist in cool. you know, forever. So, so that's a, that's a big, uh, you know, positive from my four years in the legislature. So I actually grew up in Bend and I remember when they put that in, mm-hmm. in the, the satellite campus, it was like 12 or 15 years ago when it actually yeah, started putting in, wasn't yeah, it? I think it was 2000, yeah, 2004 or so. Yeah. Cause yeah. I graduated high school in 2002. So yeah, I would have definitely been back and forth around that time frame. James is the geezer of the podcast. I'm like a year older than you. <laughs> Still older though. So as you mentioned before, I mean, you are currently not 
the governor. Uh, <laughs> we're not, not successful in that. Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> um, and in case anyone was wondering, in case anyone was who was the, the uh, current governor? Yeah. Right, right. Who the current governor I wouldn't is. be as excited about the recall. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think you could have done differently, or what advice would you give to someone else running for that position in the future on the right of center side? You know, I'm not, I'm terribly interested in, you know, looking in the rear view mirror and replaying, you know, an uh, election or you know, those types of, of things. I'd rather be focused on the, the future and, you know, solving the big problems in Oregon that have uh, really been ignored for way too long. And that's what, that's what I'm doing with my time right now. So, for example, you know, not only helping good candidates uh, run for office like Sherry helped and I'll be helping uh, Jeff Goodman if he does, you mm. know, decide to run for, for treasurer, but uh, also good causes like uh, independent redistricting. So one of the reasons why my old district is so heavily Democrat is because this was the uh, gerry- most gerrymandered district in the entire state. It wow. was mm. uh, structured to be a Democratic win, to be the first Democratic district uh, east of the Cascades. Now, as James, as you outlined, uh, that hasn't really worked out for them because we've had, uh, you know, strong candidates here who've run good campaigns. Uh, but that kind of gerrymandering just shouldn't be allowed. So I'll be working on that issue to, for a ballot measure on 2020 to prevent that so that an independent commission of, of citizens draw those lines and takes it out of the hands of the politicians. So I'm actually curious about that because I saw a proposal at one point for independent redistricting that basically would create an independent commission, but it did it based on counties, which base. And so, I mean, it's nonpartisan in theory, nonpartisan, but you do it by county and all of a sudden 70% of your independent, independent commission is from Eastern Oregon. And I feel like something like that is not going to get past the Multnomah County crowd. Yeah. So what do you think can be done? I mean, if you do it by population, then the Democrats have can have advantage. You do it by landmass and the Republicans. How do you make that a fair process that everyone can get behind? Yeah, and I agree with your assessment of the county-based <laughs> system, and that's why I didn't sign on to that. And uh, my understanding is that Kevin Mannix is not going forward with that because of you know kind of the the large amount of opposition that quickly uh, came about for that. So our concept is it's an independent commission of twelve citizens. Citizens, I want to underline citizens because it can't be anyone who's run for political office recently been a staffer lobbyist etc mm. truly have to be citizens uh, so that commission is made up of four democrats four republicans and four of uh, none of the above and they're uh, selected randomly from a large pool of people mm. who self-apply to that it, it's based on uh, models used in other states that have been uh, very effective uh, most uh, uh, most similar to what was passed in colorado uh, last election cycle got it okay i can get behind that yeah because i saw the other one i was like there's no way this is gonna no. pass like <laughs> no one's gonna get behind this no one on the left anyway I'd be curious for your thoughts to just change gears a little bit. It seems like at, at this point, the dean of Oregon Republican politics is, is Greg Walden. We are, we're past the age of Bob Packwoods and Tom McCall's and Gordon Smith's, uh, who are able to, you know, to win some of these higher profile seats. It has always struck me that some of the congressional districts here in Oregon are, have a PVI of zero or PVI of D plus two. 
And Can we'll see. Explain what PBI uh, is. Partisan voter index, uh, basically a measure of how Republican or how Democrat the district is. And if you're zero, it's basically neutral. Yeah. And I've always kind of thought if we had some stronger candidates, especially for CD5, uh, CD4, um, depending on how they draw the line, CD6, when we likely get it after the next district, I would imagine that we could get more Republicans elected to Congress. And I feel like Congressman Walden is is doing a great job at the federal level, and I think he does not spend a lot of his attention trying to build a party back up here at home. Do you think that if we were to get some more Republicans at the federal level, that that could kind of help build up the the efforts of the state party and get some more people in the pipeline who may be interested in running for those seats down the line? Yeah, yeah, I, uh, very insightful uh, comments, Nick. And to give a little background with regards to the potential in many of those congressional districts, uh, I won three out of those five congressional districts against mm. Brown, meaning I got uh, a lot more votes than she did in, in uh, not only Walden's district, but DeFazio's district and also Schrader's district. So, yeah, if you have the right candidate running the right campaign, you can win in those districts uh, mm -hmm. being a Republican. I just did it, you know, in a highly contentious governor's race where they spent about $30 million against me. I still was able to, to prevail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we just need stronger candidates running in those in those districts. And keep in mind, it's highly likely in 2022 we'll have a sixth congressional district. Yep. So, you know, you could have four competitive uh, congressional districts in, in Oregon, which, yes, it would form a, a great uh, training ground, not only for candidates, but also for staff mm -hmm. and for uh, Republicans and independents who feel uh, unrepresentative by the kind of the far left that's developed in, in Oregon uh, to have a, really an outlet and a place that they can get involved effectively. We've no. talked about, not on the podcast, but offline, thinking someone like Alan Alley running for Congress would be a fantastic candidate. Do you, who would you pick for these things? Cause I don't think I know all of the high profile Republicans in the state trying to well, get there. We're one, talking one to the high profile Republicans. One, <laughs> one at a time, one at a time. But yeah, I, I think there, there's certainly, you know, it's, it's going to be easier when, uh, you know, there's not an incumbent, uh, member of Congress running in the districts. Uh, but you, you could see people like, uh, you could see uh, maybe Rick Dancer in the Eugene area, except for Rick, I think, is not a Republican anymore. He's <laughs> uh, he's an independent. Uh, but uh, someone like Rick Dancer, Alan Alley, uh, you know, you, you can you know, see people who have the the right uh, characteristics, in my opinion, that could, could win in those districts. Well, especially for CD5, Kurt Schrader's district, if that, uh, I forget the guy's name, the mayor of Milwaukee, who's kind of a, he's a loon of the left out there, but I, I can absolutely see him winning that primary. And if there's is any the, Republican with a pulse gets in that race. Is he the, the communist who's trying to out primary or? I don't know that? if he's a dedicated, he's the mayor of Milwaukee right now. Oh. And he's, he's, I don't know, kind of a hippie kind of guy. He had some video with doing like blueberries or something like that. We'll have to, uh, listeners, go Google that mayor of Milwaukee and blueberries, see if it comes up. But if there's, you know, and that's, that's Alan's district. If Alan jumps in that race, that's. I'm real hesitant to go Google that. I'm not. <laughs> you don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> risky, risky Google search of the day. I was struck yesterday, you know, as I mentioned, we're just, we're driving down here. Uh, James and I are in Portland and we drove down here to Bend. It's yeah. a two and a half. It was closer to three hour drive yesterday because we had the rain and I was talking to my friends and I said, you know, we just have this 
incredible state. We, you know, coming from Portland with its great culinary scene and, you know, we belong to a vineyard down in the valley, drove over Mount Hood and there's incredible skiing. And it's just like, we could have this incredible state. I mean, we do have this incredible state. We could have incredible public policy too, because that's, we are, we are not beholden to kind of the national agenda. We care about the environment here. We care about other fellow citizens here. We work. We're not, there's not lobbyists and marketing and like DC type things. Like we're Oregonians are just a different, yeah. more incredible set of people. And we are beholden to these far, far left higher taxes, like gas taxes, the stupid stuff like the straw ban. Like yeah. what are we doing that just gets rammed down yeah. our throat? And, you know, I think Attacks a good on paddle boards and, and right. kayaks. Don't, <laughs> yeah, you, exactly. don't you love that one? We bill ourselves as, yeah, the great outdoors. And then, yeah, it's like, well, regardless of your income, yeah, you got to go pay taxes to do stupid paddle boards. It's like, come on, guys. And yeah, obviously Portland is as, as blue as blue gets and they dominate the rest of the state. And I just don't believe that the whole rest of the state shares that much of a, you know, they would call it progressive. I would call it regressive big government agenda. What do you think is the tipping point for a state like this with, you know, so many natural resources, so much, so much natural beauty to stop voting for these people? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you bring up a lot of, a lot of deep subjects there. Let me kind of parse them out a little bit. The first is just the potential in Oregon. I mean, uh, uh, Oregon could and should be doing so much better than mm -hmm. you outlined. We have incredible access to natural resources. It's uh, one of the most beautiful places in the world. We have major port facilities. At least we should have major port facilities. Mm -hmm. We're on the Pacific Rim. We have a high-tech sector. We have a natural resource space sector. We have you know, very uh, robust agricultural sector. Uh, Oregon should be uh, really an economic powerhouse and, and should be able to do that while preserving a high quality uh, of living. Unfortunately, we have a state government uh, that is uh, markedly underperforming, to, to say it uh, way too nicely. And uh, mm -hmm. a lot of people are falling through the cracks because of it. You know, foster kids, uh, there's a lot of homeless here, uh, people with mental health problems. Uh, and it's really sad and disappointing to me to see a state that I grew up in, a state that I love, um, you know, falling so far behind when it has such great potential. And it's mainly because of the incredibly poor leadership that we have had from uh, uh, from Governor Brown and, and many of the people in the legislature. And that's driven, uh, you know, to focus on your second point, really by a, a far left agenda coming out of Multnomah County. And it really is Multnomah County having a... Um, a, a weight on this uh, political system, which is, uh, I think, undeserved. And some of that is because of the gerrymandering, you know, the gerrymandering in the Portland mm -hmm. districts, you know, over uh, allocate uh, seats to Multnomah County or the influence of Multnomah County on, on a lot of those those uh, uh, seats. And so that is a problem. And if you look at the results of the gubernatorial race, if you just take out Multnomah County, just one county, uh, I win. Mm -hmm. yeah, right. So that that is how influential Multnomah County is in our political system. And I think it's very damaging. Uh, and I think we have to appeal to people in Multnomah County more uh, with regards to the issues that they really care about. You know, the the homeless, the, uh, the environment, uh, mental health. And traditionally, those have not been issues that Republican candidates have really talked about or importantly, not brought solutions to bear with regards to those important issues. Mm -hmm.
I posted on our Facebook page a little bit ago, there was a study that just came out that homelessness has increased something like 20% since the last biannual study. Oregon has the second highest budget per capita in the nation behind like North Dakota or something. State state budget. State budget. And Multnomah County has the highest taxes of any county in the state. So this is just sort of an indication of the Democrat failures in my mind. We have so much money going into government and yet the poorest of the poor are are worse off like what are we doing with this how do how do we i don't know i guess i don't really have a question there (laughs) (laughs) well i can i can i think it's a great observation you know oregon is having some of the highest per capita uh, government spending of any state in the nation uh, but the results are abysmal yeah and you have to uh, you know ask why is that and i would say there's there's three main reasons for it abysmal leadership, misplaced mm-hmm. priorities, uh, and bad policies. And it's uh, most uh, uh, most reflected in Multnomah County. All I have to do is walk the streets of Portland and see the yeah. results of, of those three um, uh, inputs. Or drive. <laughs> Get a new dent in my, you know, in the struts or whatever. Every single time you hit a pothole or something like that. Yeah, right. It's rough. Yeah, I had my car broken into on the, you know, that... on the streets of, of Portland, you know, and it was, oh, no. you know, like 630 in the morning. It's... Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, can I ask, we, uh, one of the other things, obviously, three hours in the car, you're just going to get to shoot the breeze. So one of the other things that came up, we're talking about if you, any, person who is able to really present a voice on the right at a statewide level here in Oregon instantly becomes a national presence just because it's, oh my gosh, what just happened? The state is so blue. How did this person win? And for me, that would have been, uh, I did a little bit of work on Bud's campaign. That would have been one of the best things about Governor Pierce. That would have been one of the best things about Governor Bueller is somebody, you know, somebody walks up to me and says, well, you're in the GOP. You're a Trump person, you're a racist, you're a xenophobe, you're a homophobe, whatever. And it would have been so wonderful to have something to fall back on. And you can say, no, I'm not. Here is why I am in the GOP. Here is why I'm a Republican. And here's our pro-environment policies, pro-family policies, pro-working people policies, pro-minority policies that you just don't see at the national level. And I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on you know, this is obviously cart before the horse, but I have to imagine at some point the GOP will find a clarion voice or myriad clarion voices who can put that out there, win statewide in Oregon, and start to put some of those policies out there at a national level. Do you think that it is possible to not retake over the Republican Party, but to have at least an alternate voice to what the national discourse is in the GOP right now, which is frankly not favorable and I don't think induces a lot of young people, future voters to want to no. join the party. Yeah, it, absolutely, Nick. The Oregon Republican Party uh, will need a, a refresh, uh, a new face, uh, a new brand, so to speak. Uh, you know, a Trump Republican's not going to win in Oregon. I'm sorry, you know, sorry to break the hard news to anyone, but, you know, Trump got destroyed in Oregon in 2016, and it will be even worse in 2020. Uh, and the good news is there are states uh, that have already done this. Uh, that have uh, Republican governors that uh, are much different than than Trump. Maryland uh, and Massachusetts, look yeah, at y'all. Maryland, Massachusetts, Vermont. <laughs> Vermont, uh, you too, know, yeah. they're, they, uh, That's the model. 
that is the model that I've tried to to follow. Uh, you know, in the Oregon Republican Party needs to realize that that's the model that's going to win in a blue state. And yes, we are a blue state, but even a blue state can elect a Republican governor, Charlie Baker in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. Larry Hogan in Maryland, Phil Scott in in Vermont of, of all places. Uh, and that is the playbook that needs to be followed. Um, and uh, you know, to continue to uh, go down a kind of uh, uh, a far right uh, road is just not going to be accepted and it's not going to win in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just the, the cold, hard reality. So. Sam, Sam Carpenter, if you're listening, sorry, man, it's not going <laughs> to work out. <laughs> I heard a rumor he's back. You know, he's back. I thought he left the state and I was glad that he wasn't here anymore. But well, Four straight uh, losses of Republican elections for Sam. <laughs> yeah, Hopefully right. he will have uh, got the message. Well, I, so. We were joking about this last night. I have won more elections than Sam has. <laughs> well, that's not saying a whole lot. <laughs> I won a PCP election. He hasn't even won that. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Anyway. 1-0, oh, James Ball. <laughs> Sam Carpenter, Owen. Four. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, just to expand on the point about uh, Republican governors and Democratic states, uh, you know, independents and Democrats in Oregon should also realize that those are some of the most popular governors in the entire nation. I mean, off the charts popular. I think Charlie Baker is over 80 mm-hmm. percent. Hogan is similar uh, compared to what we have in Oregon, where we have an extreme uh, extremist leftist uh, governor who has some of the worst uh, popularity mm-hmm. rankings in the entire uh, nation. You know, I think around 36% right now. It's abysmal. And that kind of balance is what's needed. Our political system is set up to have that kind of yin and yang, that balance of power. And we have not had that in Oregon for so long. And that's one of the reasons why we have such a badly performing state government. Donald Trump is more popular than Kate Brown. And when that's the wow. case... That's saying something. <laughs> Donald Trump is more popular than Kate Brown yeah. in Oregon. Wow. He always, yeah, he polls at low 40s, mid 40s or something no, like no, that. No, that, not that high. No, it's, it's usually, in our polling, it is running 38 to, you know, 40 or so. That's, but, yeah, that, but, I'm but sorry, I was looking at a national but it's level, rock, but you're right. it's yeah. rock solid at that at that level. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, uh, and, and Kate Brown traditionally has been around in the mid 40s in terms of her uh, favorable uh, but uh, with this last legislative session, even like you started our conversation earlier, yeah. even Democrats have had enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that your average voter understands conservative principles. They want limited government. They want some of the things that the Republican Party has historically stood for. But we have gone so far. We were talking we, our last podcast, which isn't out yet, but will be by the time this this comes out, is talking about the platform and. of it was social issues in the the ORP platform. You know, there was like one sentence on government spending and then 15 on family values and all this other social stuff that we don't really have any influence on anyway. It's, It's totally misplaced. And I think that turns off so many potential voters by going too far down this social track. And it's not even consistent. It's... It's not even grammatically correct. (laughs) It's not, it's not consistent with our values. Like we say, we don't want the government to interfere. Oh, except we're going to tell you to do these things that we want you to do. I think that that's the direction the the party needs to go. Well, the party needs to go in the direction of, uh, returning to its core mission, which is 
helping Republicans win elections. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that too. Not to spend all this time on platforms that no one reads or pays attention to, fortunately. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and yeah. actually, you know, start rolling up your sleeves as a party member of PCP and helping uh, candidates at all levels get elected. That's, that's the core mission, and they need to uh, be laser-focused on achieving that. Yeah. Anyone listening to this podcast, Republicans want to get involved, you can email me, james at jamesaball.com. I can get you PCP forms. I can plug you in with local parties. We can, I guess. That's my email address. But so we'll Put you on a do, podcast if you want to. Put you on a podcast you if you want to. Um, <laughs> anyway, so what we're trying to do here yep. is, is get people involved and move the party to core principles. Yeah, and let's talk about, you know, there's there's lots of ways people can get involved that is productive. Uh, they can show up at local government meetings right, and, and learn the issues. Uh, they can volunteer to be on uh, local boards and commissions. You don't even have to run for office, and many of those, you know, positions go unfilled. It allows you to learn, uh, starts to build up your resume of uh, potentially taking the next step and running for a, a local office. Uh, yeah. And lots of places in the, in the state uh, those local offices uh, have one candidate so mm-hmm. you know there there's opportunity there as you build experience and run for you know higher office county commissioner city city council uh, state representative and so there's lots of steps that people can kind of introduce themselves and get familiar yeah you know water districts you know uh, you know certainly they don't encounter big complex far-reaching issues, but you do learn the process of, of government, which is a, a good first step. So we've talked, again, offline about how we're kind of missing a bench in Oregon. There, there's not really an heir apparent to some of these higher level offices. Do you have a pick for 2022 governor or what have a prominent Oregonian that you think would be would be good for that or... Oh, I, I mean, I think there's lots of good people out there, but the the problem is we don't have a bench and we don't have someone focused on creating a bench. And I think that's been one of the most um, impactful effects of not having someone win at the state level that then feels compelled to help uh, build the internal um, uh, resources needed. You know, the last person to win statewide other than Dennis Richardson uh, was, uh, you know, uh, was Senator Smith. And Senator Smith, for whatever reason, just really didn't ever want to to carry that mantle of building the party and the bench, which is is too bad. Uh, and then Dennis, to a certain extent, didn't either for a different reason. He knew it was important, but being Secretary of State, he very much took a hand off, hands-off approach to anything partisan. So it would be extremely helpful to have uh, a statewide elected Republican who also played that role of of uh, of mentoring and building the, the bench, just not of candidates, but also of, of people who uh, could be be uh, filling the policy staff roles and, for that matter, campaign staff roles. Sure. Jeff 2020. <laughs> Jeff Goodman. Which, Jeff he's Goodman. a friend of ours. Yeah. Yeah, we had him on the podcast. Actually, yeah, on the podcast. Guest yeah. Of ours. yeah, I think Jeff would be a, a great candidate and uh, for treasurer, and hopefully he, he will be uh, uh, a candidate for treasurer in 2020, and I think he has a real shot at, at winning, and I'm sure Jeff would play that role of helping others. He's absolutely qualified. It's just getting past that. Scarlet R. Damn. But for treasurer, you'd think that that shouldn't be similar to Secretary of State, not a very partisan position. Anyway. Numbers are numbers, data are data. But if you're a Republican, it's still rough. 
Are you familiar with the uh, little plug here? The Future Leaders of Oregon group? Yeah, I am. Yeah. I think they are they're trying to do some of that stuff at a lower level, trying to get some of these This is another problem is you have these staffers, these campaign managers who once they're done with campaign season, they they're out of a job. Yeah. And some of them go work for legislators, but others are just kind of stuck driving through Uber as their <laughs> means of income. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that that is a, a worthy cause? Do you think that, what do we think we can do to help some of those younger members stay involved in the party? Well, I think the the future leaders program is a, is a wonderful uh, approach. It's you know similar to what the Democrats have done with their Emerge training uh, program, sure. which is you know recruited a lot of uh, Democratic women candidates. They say they're nonpartisan, but I don't think there's ever been a, re- <laughs> a Republican or for that matter independent who's gone through the the program. And certainly the Republicans need a a similar. Um, organization you know again it's a, a another place where the uh, traditional parties are failing I mean, that really should be a role of traditional parties is to help train and prepare people to run for office and you know i just don't see the gop doing those sorts of things it would be a great role for them to play in uh, the fact that there is not a good place for staffers to land after these campaigns is, is a real challenge you know the democrats have a, a real advantage because they've developed uh, a lot of nonprofits where uh, staffers mm. can go to work and then the union you know the yeah. union is you know essentially just uh, flipping a switch and goes from campaign activities to union activities and mm-hmm. uh, you know that that barrier uh, you know is is very gray and they play right up to the line uh, many times with regards to those dual activities and the business community just hasn't developed that same kind of option for for republican staffers well, we're, we're the party of small business people who have influence in this organization and other things i i, I would really like to see reaching out to more small businesses and say, Hey, you know, you got 25 or 30 employees. We got this guy over here. He works really hard. He doesn't have a whole lot of experience. He's just out of college, but he or she is a hard worker. Throw him a bone. Let's hire him on as project manager or something just yeah. to, to keep him. I, I would love to see something like that. Yeah. Anyway, we are getting close to the end of our time. Nick, do you have anything else you wanted to say before we wrap up? No, I'd say, uh, you know, very grateful for this opportunity of having us over. Uh, We generally end every podcast by asking our guest who his or her favorite Republican is. You have any thoughts? Wow. Uh, Other than yourself. Yeah. Threw you a, a curveball yeah, there. Probably, yeah, probably could have given a, you a head up on Bueller that. curveball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right now my favorite uh, Republican is uh, is Charlie Baker, the governor of of Massachusetts. I okay. had the good fortune of meeting him, you know, through the Republican Governors Association. He uh, is someone who has a healthcare uh, background, uh, someone who's been uh, instrumental in developing bipartisan solutions to big problems in Massachusetts, and because of it, he is you know the most popular governor. In, in the country. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I think that's the model that would work in, in Oregon. Well, if he ever uh, calls you up and takes a vacation to Central Oregon, give us a call and we'll get him on the pod. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Sitting governor, that'd be great. <laughs> to echo Nick's point, thank you so much for, this, yeah. for the opportunity and coming on the podcast. And listeners, we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to The Rational Republican. Please like and subscribe on your favorite podcasting service, or you can listen on our website, jamesaball.com. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media, and if you're feeling extra generous, you can visit our Patreon site at patreon.com slash rationalrepublican. Again, 
Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.